if a person has sickle cell disease, they're most often diagnosed as a baby. And the baby is under the care of parents. The parents learn about sickle cell disease, learn how to take care of sickle cell disease, learn what to do for sickle cell disease. And the child is sort of on the receiving end of all this. But as you become an adolescent and into adulthood, then all of a sudden it becomes the patient's responsibility. So hello and welcome to Cocoa Pods, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation and a maternal mortality and morbidity reduction academy podcast. For this our podcast episode, we are very fortunate to have with us Professor Louise Sue, MD PhD, and the Chief Medical Officer of the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America. Professor Sue, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. You know, in a February 2, 2023 original research paper published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, a study with a good sampling of pregnancies in the United States, it showed that pregnancy in people with sickle cell disease were found to be at very high risk with mortality rates, that is, people dying with sickle cell disease deliveries 26 times more than the general population. Despite advances in sickle cell disease management and advances in high-risk pregnancy care at the national level, outcomes in this population have not improved since the nationwide inpatient, the NIS, the National Inpatient Sample Analysis that was started in 1999. And these two must be understood as a racial healthcare disparity issue, as failures to advance sickle cell disease research and care in the United States are also consequences of structural racism. So, Professor Sue, I want to ask some serious questions that were posed from these studies. What are the rates and the risks of women becoming very sick or dying among birthing people with sickle cell disease? And what proportion of the increased risk for adverse pregnancy outcome in sickle cell disease is associated with racial disparities encountered by Black patients? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for those uh, questions. So I do want to make clear that I'm not one of the authors of the study and I'm not a obstetrician gynecologist. I'm a pediatric hematologist. So I'm answering from this point of view that I'm looking at information, but the shocking information is that the maternal mortality risk for a woman with sickle cell disease for pregnancy is something like 26 times higher than for a non-Black pregnant woman and 10 times higher than for a Black pregnant woman without sickle cell disease. 
So these kind of numbers, 26 times higher, 10 times higher, means for sure that sickle cell disease is a big contributor to the problem. Um, but then there's also this, because it's 26 times higher versus 10 times higher. But then you also have this large portion where you definitely see a difference between what happens for a black woman without sickle cell disease versus a non-black woman without sickle cell disease. So there's 26 times higher risk for a woman with sickle cell disease. And about a third of that risk is related to race uh, somehow. Exactly how that is happening, that's more for the obstetricians to be able to tell you in detail. From where I'm sitting, which again, I'm not an obstetrician, um, I think it has to do with multiple things. So in sickle cell disease, there is generally some problems with different organs. Uh, the lungs, the kidneys are particular ones that cause difficulty or they're under strain during pregnancy. Um, the lungs, because you're not breathing as deeply, because diaphragm is pushed up because of big belly. Um, and acute chest syndrome is the gigantic problem that can cause death in pregnancy for women with sickle cell disease. Uh, acute chest syndrome means that there's problems with sickling in the lungs. Um, we can talk about that a little bit more. But another problem is the kidneys. The kidneys in sickle cell are often affected. And kidneys during pregnancy have to all of a sudden do, well, all of a sudden during the pregnant period, have to do like 50 times more, twice as much work as they did before pregnancy. Now, if your kidneys were already kind of not so great because of sickle cell and they're put on this load, then it becomes harder to cope with things. And so conditions that have to do with the kidneys, such as eclampsia, preeclampsia, uh, those become magnified and bigger, bigger risks in sickle cell disease. And then you also have uh, the heart is strained. And heart is something that in sickle cell gets nibbled away, little bits of damage uh, because of sickling going on in the heart muscle and having the heart muscle be not as maybe flexible, maybe not as strong. And so when you have the challenge of having to pump a lot of blood around because of pregnancy, then the heart is strained also. So you have multiple different things going on. And on top of this is possibly that the medicines that were keeping the woman with sickle cell disease stable before pregnancy, some of them might need to get stopped during pregnancy because they're potentially hazardous during pregnancy. So stuff like hydroxyurea, stuff like ACE inhibitors, ARBs, uh, so there would be losartan and things like that may or may not be something you can continue on during pregnancy. Again, we would be talking very closely with the obstetricians for that, not me, the pediatric hematologist. Um, so you have changes in medications and then pain medicines. Some of the pain medicines that are given will cross over into baby. And so you have to think about what's going to happen there. And some pain medicines, such as the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medicines, things like ibuprofen, ketorolac, uh, naproxen, would have some possibility of changing the blood flow to the baby. And so those are generally not 
something that you'd use during pregnancy either. So you have lots of different things that the support that was keeping this woman in good shape with her sickle cell disease might all of a sudden have to get modified during the pregnancy. So lots of things happening. But really on top of that is the U.S. problems with race and with Black women with pregnancy having, you know, something like two and a half, three times higher the rates of problems, including death, compared to non-Black women. That is tied into bias, uh, access disparities, poverty, all kinds of things, which are I don't have enough time to go into, nor the expertise. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to, um, you know, let's talk about this uh, study that was published in Lancet. Um, you were a member of a task force of invited experts from a multi-country uh, consortium. People came from the United States, from Europe, from the Middle East, and from Africa. And you, the experts, you were asked to provide a global overview on an aspect of sickle cell disease that is important to us, women's health providers. As young ladies get older and consider fertility and pregnancy. So I ask the question, what is the urgent need for improved transition practices to prepare adolescents and young adults for adult-centered care in sickle cell disease, looking from a global perspective. Yeah. So the biggest thing is probably getting ready, <laughs> getting the adolescent ready. That uh, the usual pattern is that if a person has sickle cell disease, they're most often diagnosed in the as a baby. And the baby is under the care of parents. The parents learn about sickle cell disease, learn how to take care of sickle cell disease, learn what to do for sickle cell disease. And the child is sort of on the receiving end of all this. But as you become an adolescent and into adulthood, then all of a sudden it becomes the individual, the, the patient's responsibility. And anybody who's met a teenager uh, it's a turbulent time. You've been a teenager, you know it was a turbulent time, and then you kind of come to your senses, quote unquote, come to your senses somewhere in your 20s uh, as you become more mature and have better judgment. But there's a stretch there where you want to test things, take risks, be independent, uh, and those may be choices where the risks for somebody without any chronic disease are considerable, you know, driving too fast, climbing things that you shouldn't climb, doing drinking things you shouldn't drink or smoking things you shouldn't smoke, um, fights and whatever. But the risks for somebody with a chronic disease has, because there's lower reserve and there's bigger consequences. So the thing that if my, if my children who don't have sickle cell disease did something crazy and decided to not sleep for two days. They just didn't sleep for two days, but they didn't have too much lasting consequences from that. But if somebody with sickle cell disease went without rest for a long time, it could land them in the hospital. And that would be such a big difference. 
So the adolescent needs to be able to learn what's going on with their body, needs to understand sickle cell disease, needs to understand the treatments the way that their parent probably has already done. So we try to do some things. If you'll let me, I'm going to show my pediatric side here with some visual aids. So we try to teach uh, in ways that are maybe a little bit childish, but maybe easier to remember, talking about how normal red blood cells are more round and smooth and flexible, and they can move through blood vessels like We'll pretend this stocking is a blood vessel. And the job of this blood vessel is to deliver the blood cell from one end to the other to deliver oxygen. So do you think this guy is going to make it through this blood vessel? With a little bit of pressure, it does. So that was a successful run for that blood cell. But sometimes the blood cell will become, if in if you have sickle cell disease, it'll become instead of this round shape, it'll become more like this. A curved, elongated, maybe pointy at the ends, and it's shaped more like a banana. So do you think this banana is going to make it through this blood vessel? See, and so you kind of can. It's getting a little bit hung up, and you can sort of see it's getting stuck, and I'm having to push harder to get it through. Now, that makes it harder to, and then eventually it makes it through. So did eventually make it through. It's not like completely helpless, but it's harder for it to get through. Likewise, sickle red cells sometimes can get sticky, just as if you put adhesive tape onto your red blood cell. So now you have, instead of a smooth surface, it's kind of sticky. This makes it harder is to pass through the blood vessel. I don't know if you can hear the crunching. And so adhesion is another problem that happens more with infection and inflammation. And you also have problems with the sickle red blood cell that becomes, if it becomes more dried out, it's sort of like this dried chili pepper. And like, I know Nigerians eat chili a lot too. <laughs> this is a, this happens to be more Mexican one, guajillo pepper, but you can picture that this red blood cell that used to be a whole long shape is now broken up and what happens when a chili pepper breaks? It releases its seeds. And so the seeds can be um, exciting, spicy, but also kind of burning and inflammatory. And if you have too much of them, it's not good for you. So the same kind of way, when red blood cells break and they release their contents, the hemoglobin sets off inflammation in the body, which can cause oxidant stress, it can cause white cells to get activated, clotting to happen. And so it makes this blood vessel not so happy. A blood vessel that's not happy could get narrowed because of vasoconstriction, just getting tight. And you can picture that a tight blood vessel, even if you have a smooth, flexible blood cell, uh, if your blood vessel gets tight, not much is gonna pass. So you have to relax that blood vessel with hydration, with prayer, with warmth. And so here's <laughs> relaxation coming up, uh, trying to go up. And so now I have a wider blood vessel because of heat or prayer or relaxation or vasodilators or nitric oxide. And this helps that blood cell to be able to make it out the other end and successfully deliver oxygen. So these would teach, hopefully give you the visual image that Water is important so you don't get dried out like this. That avoiding 
too much stress is important because that keeps your blood vessel from getting real tight. So relaxation, being calm, dealing with things, avoiding infections is important also. So you don't get this stickiness as well as avoiding low oxygen conditions that could make the cell go from this shape to uh, more, whoops, my banana fell on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Go to these elongated curve shapes. So these would be some of the things where it makes a difference for the for the teenager. So the other thing we talk about that's relevant to maternal health is the idea that sickle cell disease is a genetic condition. And so when you are thinking about having babies, then you need to know that your genes will be passed along to baby. And so if you picture that somebody's trying to be a mom and a dad, so the we're going to represent that. If both of these parents have knowledge of their sickle cell status, then they would know what's inside of them. And so you can picture that one of them perhaps has sickle cell disease. They would have two genes that will represent by these little red candies that have an S on them. So this might be the dad who has sickle cell disease, or it could be the mom who has sickle cell disease, okay? So we'll say that this mom has sickle cell disease, and we'll say that a dad or a prospective dad has sickle traits. So he has one gene for sickle, S, and he has one gene for hemoglobin A. So this would be a person with sickle trait, and we'll pretend that this is the mom. If they have children, then each of them will give one gene to the baby, and we'll pretend that we're going to just draw randomly. Whoops. Uh, so reach in without looking. And we'll each gives one gene to the baby. And here's one gene from each. And so this baby has SS, has sickle cell disease. If they have, if they have another baby, you have another shot, you know, another chance. And so now the next baby may also have sickle cell disease. Mm. And if you have another baby, you keep on going like that and each time is random. But if the dad has sickle cell disease SS and the mom has the mom has sickle trait, and I'm looking in at their genes, um, then it's a 50-50 chance that any child will have sickle cell disease and the other children would have sickle trait, but each child is another random chance. If you have two parents where both have sickle traits, then you could do this kind of game again, and you can see that there's the possibilities, but there's also each time you have a baby, each time you pull from these bags, it's a random chance. And so we've done demonstrations with groups of school children, uh, high school students or something, where the pretend two bags, <laughs> have 10 children drawn one after another, and you get all kinds of combinations of the family. Some families with like nine children, families with just this hypothetical, um, nine children with sickle cell disease and one child with sickle trait, because it just happened that way. Or you have another with like three, three, and four with some sickle traits, some normal, et cetera. And so the, the knowledge that when you have reproduction happening, knowing your genotype and knowing that there is randomness are both very important to know. And so that's something for adolescents to be uh, worked on. So thank you so very much, Professor Sue. Upcoming episode.
But wait, there's even more. So that now as more progress is coming along, there is cures for sickle cell. 